The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I ask you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake, or instead of a fish, instead of a fish, or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder who could name one of the most dreaded requests in a Lutheran church circle. Okay, got it? I'd have to say being asked to say a prayer for a group. Whether it's the table grace, or before the annual meeting, or a healing prayer at the bedside, many Lutherans are a bit flummoxed and insecure about being invited to pray to God in many situations, publicly. Why? So who was it that taught us to pray? Did Grandma teach you? Did she teach you to be shy and fearful? Was it a stern catechism pastor making you do the formal and impossible prayer for an average teen? Does prayer only sound authentic if it's liturgically correct, taken from the green hymnal or the red hymnal or the bulletin? Here's an idea for us to try on. If someone were to listen to our prayers privately or in public, what does our content tell us about the character of God. Just who is God for us? Is he a vindictive God who expects too much? Does God seem like the great and powerful Oz of Emerald City and so very distant? Do we doubt he's really there at all sometimes listening? Or is God just a handyman 
to whom we dump laundry lists of our own requests for God to work on so we can move on to something else. Do we listen for God's response? Do we listen a while? It might not come in the next 60 seconds. Do we listen for the invitation to be part of the solution? Well, take comfort. The disciples also needed some lessons in praying. They saw how often Jesus spent time in earnest prayer himself as they traveled and how he received direction then from his heavenly Father, inspiration from God for the mission ahead. So in Luke's gospel today, we hear one of his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. It was common for rabbis to teach their disciples spiritual practices in those days, so Jesus began with a model prayer. The Lord's Prayer in Luke is very brief, you'll notice. It's the, uh, and Matthew's version is much longer. Luke is saying, telling Jesus a lesson in this way. There are three parts in this gospel. The model prayer itself, a parable about prayer, and several sayings at the end. Now, no sermon can cover this immense topic in a few minutes, so let me simply focus on the themes that Jesus highlights. It isn't altogether news to us that God is not some angry judge, but is to be seen as a loving father, as Abba, as Jesus would say in his mother tongue, Aramaic. Abba is a term of very intimate relationship. It's like our children saying, Daddy, Daddy, the small child would call to his parent. And just like parents who are eager to hear the needs and the hopes and joys of their children, so Jesus is at pains to teach his followers from day one that God is open, available, accepting as a parent who wants to hear from us all the time. He wants to give also good gifts back to us in return. But God's name is also holy. Holy means set apart for sacred use. And it describes his unique character that is gracious and generous. And when his name is honored by all, his kingdom will come. And all people will be fed and cared for around the world. I love the message Bible translation of the first verses of the Lord's Prayer. It says, Father, reveal who you are and set the world right. Reveal who you are and set the world right. Jesus then reveals God's generous, gracious nature in the intriguing parable about a man who has an unexpected guest drop by. He has no bread to offer him, so he goes to his neighbors at midnight and wakes him up to ask for three loaves of bread. The neighbor isn't thrilled. We might not be either, because his family is in bed by the fire. But traditionally, the story says, because of the persistence, persistence of the needy neighbor and the demands of Middle Eastern hospitality, the man will get up to share the bread with his neighbor. Therefore, Jesus says to his disciples, 
If a grumpy man will get up and help out our neighbor with bread, how much more will God, whose character is totally gracious and loving, want to give you, his children, what they need and what they ask for? But I want to drill down a little more deeply into the meaning of this parable for our lives, for our prayer lives. Scholars ask us to focus on verse 8, especially in this gospel. Verse 8, where the meaning of this word persistence in the Greek can be um, helpful. Brian Peterson, scholar, says the true translation is more accurately not persistence of the neighbor, but the shamelessness or a lack of sensitivity to what is proper, a willful lack of concern about acquiring public shame. It can also mean disgrace. Let me bring another scholar to add nuance to this story about how to pray. Walter Liefeld makes a helpful suggestion. The petitioner indeed acts with shameless disregard for his neighbor that night and perhaps other neighbors who will witness this midnight disturbance. But the focus quickly shifts to the one in bed. Though the petitioner acts in shameful ways, His neighbor deals with the shame in a way that will bring honor to both of them. So my earnest prayer partners, our prayer life may have two focuses. Is it all our action, our words, our eloquence as we pray? Or is it also God's response that makes the prayer whole? Is the response to our prayer based fully on God's grace and loving desire to care for us? Yes. Well, I don't think it's finally because we have the right words when we get prayer answered or flowery phrases or volume when we pray to trigger God's attention. Look again at further insight from Jesus' lesson in this gospel reading this morning in verse 9 to 13. He tells his disciples and all of us, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. If your child asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? No. So then how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The gift we get is the Holy Spirit. Depending on what we ask, we may get the same gift. The Holy Spirit who empowers us, who enlightens the situation, who shows Christ's love and mercy and grace in the situation. My prayerful friends, it's about staying connected. Ultimately, Jesus is teaching his followers, stay connected by your daily prayers. Come to me, talk to me, Tell me your joys and your fears, and listen when I respond. Prayer isn't a formal oration or an essay. It's an intimate, natural way of talking to our God. And part of prayer is also listening and finding the creative way that God may be, in fact, reaching back to you. A call to prayer is a call to build our relationship with God. 
and letting God reveal himself and true character to us as one who wants to give us life and redeem us from ourselves. Jesus adds ideas on how to grow this relationship. As we said before, ask. Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Now, somebody must be ready to say, but God doesn't always answer prayer in the way that we find it or understand it or want it. Indeed, we have all asked for something in prayer, and it seemed to go unanswered. Or the loved one we prayed for was not healed. The new job didn't arise. The peace never comes to Syria or other countries, and hunger never ends on the West Bank. No, we aren't supposed to then give up our prayer life. As author Frederick Buechner would say, be importunate, Jesus says, not because you have to beat a path to God's door before he'll open it, but because until you beat the path, maybe there's no way of getting to your door. And what if the boy is not healed? Even if the boy dies, keep on beating the path to God's door. Because one thing you can be sure of is that down the path you beat, with even your most half-cocked and halting prayer, the God that you are calling upon will finally come. And even if he does not bring the answer you want, he will bring you himself. And maybe at the secret heart of all of our prayers, that is what we are really praying for. Amen.